Thank you. You may be seated at this time. Uh, kids are also dismissed uh, out over here to your left, and our ushers will also begin uh, taking the offering at this time. So we're continuing this morning in a journey that we've been on entitled uh, Without Borders. And just so we understand what this means, whenever we look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is um, what we believe is the, the longest speech that we have recorded of the most impactful human Jesus who ever lived, we believe that when we come to this, what we see ultimately is that God owns everything. That when God looks at the world, he doesn't necessarily just see America and China and Switzerland and Mars. We believe what God sees is his world and his creation that he ultimately loves. And we also believe that when God looks at our lives, he doesn't look at our lives in terms of, well, there's my spiritual life and there's my work and you know, there's my kids, and, and there's this part and this part. Here's my sinful self, and here's my sanctified good self. He looks at every one of you this morning and sees an entire person that he loves fully. And, and God wants to reign ultimately in every single area of your life. And this is where we as the church are convinced that true joy lies. It doesn't lie in, in pleasures of this world which seem important but then grow dim. That ultimately, joy and fulfillment and satisfaction are found in the life that is wholly surrendered to Jesus Christ and his commands. And the Sermon on the Mount, this entire journey that we're on, is an invitation to up your game in terms of how much you're letting Jesus love you and speak into your life. It's an invitation to take that next step forward in your life. It's an exhortation. It's, it's, it's Jesus begging you to surrender whatever that may be. Whatever sin you've drawn a border around in your life and you say, I like God, but, but he's not coming in here. This is an invitation to break down those walls, to, to break down the borders, and to let Jesus reign fully. And last week we looked at the Beatitudes, at what it means to be blessed and what we can expect in our lives when we follow Jesus, the blessing that we receive. But today it's kind of different. Today what we're looking at is the blessing the world can expect to receive from you when you follow Jesus. And the reason why the title of the sermon this morning is kind of a a long, random title. It's called, Here Today, Right Now, To Be Light. Let me explain what that means. I have this theory, and my theory is, and I I guarantee you it probably applies to people in this room too, my theory is that the majority of humanity and the majority of people in this world are just hanging out until they die. We're just hanging out, we're just working jobs, we're just going from our day to day, we're just living. We're not really very motivated. We're, we're just kind of existing when God has placed us here in this world to be light. He's placed us in our workplaces and in our families and in every circle of influence we have. You are put there. And why do, how different would our motivation be if we felt like we were honestly maybe the only group of believers in the city of Houston 
What if we thought that the 150 of us, that we were it in a city of 5 million people? Would it change our motivation? Would we feel more compelled to be the light that we're called to be? Believer, this morning, you specifically are the light of the world. You. We're looking around for like all like the really good Christians to be like the big lights, you know, and we're, we're kind of like a dim light, you know. Like, like some people are big spotlights and, and we're like one of those lights up there. That's kind of us. It's kind of our part of it. But let this morning, let this text remind you today that Jesus is looking all of us right in the face and saying, look, you're the light and the darkness because the Holy Spirit dwells literally within you if you're a believer of Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew 5 this morning, starting in verse 13, Matthew 5, and stand with me as we read God's word together. What Jesus is going to tell us is that we exist to take the light we have found to the darkness that we see. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, it says this. Jesus talking to his disciples says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May God bless this word. You may be seated. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? It means that we are here to lessen the darkness of sin in this world. Uh, salt in Jesus' day, um, this is kind of tough for us to understand, uh, was not just primarily used um, as a little bit of flavoring. In our culture, in our city, if you see salt on a table, you think that that is there primarily, that salt exists to add a little bit of flavor to your food, okay? And so what Jesus is not saying is we're just here to add a little bit of flavor to the world, right? That, that's, not, that's not what he's getting at. That's not what he's saying. And believe it or not, this is going to shock a lot of you, um, the, the majority of humanity has not had these things called refrigerators, okay? Um, in Jesus' day, they definitely did not have refrigerators, much less electricity, but, but definitely not refrigerators. And so salt for Jesus, in Jesus' day, was like the main preservative that you had. And so if you had food that you wanted to preserve somehow, you would put it in salt, and it, it wasn't the greatest strategy, but it would preserve it longer than if it was not in salt. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's viewing this as a way to not only flavor, but also as a preservative. And so what he is saying to these disciples, to this ragtag group of people, He's talking to the, the non-elites, the non-political winners. He, he's not talking to the most gifted, intelligent men of the world. He's talking to this ragtag group of, of people and saying, you are here in this world to lessen the darkness that is around you. 
You see, the world is torn between the ways of God, and I think maybe the best way to phrase it is the ways of not God, of sin. And so you've got God's holiness, which is the way that God set up the world and the way that everything should be. When, when, you, when things are gone right, they're in God's way, they're holy. And when people rebel against God, that's what sin is. That's what depravity and darkness. And the Bible uses this illustration of light and darkness continuously throughout Scripture to demonstrate the difference between following God and following sin. And not only are we called in our own lives to defeat the darkness, to repent of sin, to to give up our, our bad habits, but we're called to, in the world around us, in the places around us, to lessen the darkness of sin. You see, salt lessen the corruption of food, and he says, what good is a, is a Christian that does not lessen the darkness that is around them? What good is a light that doesn't give any light? Really cool story. About a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in my office, and this guy comes in, um, very frantically wanting to talk with me. And uh, I brought him in my office, and I said, okay, sit down. And he goes, I need to make a donation to the church, like very emphatically. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, um, I'm glad to hear that. But if you don't mind me asking, like, you know, we don't expect visitors to give. That's for our, you know, members. I mean, is there a certain reason why you really want to give this donation? And he said, yeah, I was greatly moved by the act of kindness of, of somebody that goes to your church. And so I inquired more. I said, well, what happened? He said, well... Um, I do a lot of business here in the Oak Forest area, and I work from homes, and so I go visit people. And as I was leaving one of my appointments, um, I was getting into my car, and somehow my iPad and my work folder, which is like all of my work stuff, right, somehow falls out of my car and onto the side of the street, and he goes, and I take off. I I had no idea. And um, I get a call about two hours later from a woman in your church, which happened to be Betty Rio. I don't know if she's here. Betty, are you here? Betty Rio here? Should I hear this one? Okay. Man, the one, the one week she's not here, I use her in an illustration. Um, but he goes, a woman in your church named Betty Rio found my stuff and went out of her way to call me and to give me back my stuff. And he goes, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, whenever she did that for me, I just felt so moved and so loved. And I asked her, what can I do for you? She said, well, I mean, I go to this church down the road. If you want to, you can go make a donation. And, and he hadn't gotten around to it for two weeks. But two weeks later, he still remembered he needed to do it, and he came. And to be honest, you know, I don't really care about the money. It's not about the money. I don't, I don't even know how much he gave. But it was really cool to see a man that was so moved by an act of, of kindness. And when you think about that man, you don't know what his experience has been in this life. He might have been a kid who was abused in the church growing up. He might have been someone who was very far from God, and all of a sudden this idea of light and love and help and kindness and goodness was tied to this woman who identifies herself with the body of Christ. And and we think those little things don't mean anything, but they make such a big difference. I mean, think about your own life. Like, Like, if you're sitting here right now and you're a believer in Jesus, there are people along your life who loved you and helped you and guided you. Simple acts of kindness that moved in your heart to lead you to where you're at right now. And so God calls us to to be salt in the earth, which means to to lessen the darkness of sin in this world. And the reason why God wants us to, to lessen the darkness is simply because he loves the world. 
church, this world, like these apartment complexes, these, these neighborhoods, these places around us that are involved in sex trafficking, that are involved in, in high drug usage, like God loves those people so much. He loves every human. Like he's loved us from the very beginning when he, when he created us, when he created the world. He loves us so intensely. And if we refuse to love the world, then we are not on the same page with God. We are called to love the world. But here's the problem. Back in Jesus' day, um, the interesting thing about this uh, analogy is that technically, unless you actually like genetically or whatever modify salt, salt can never really lose its saltiness, right? Like that's, they say it's actually impossible. You can't make a piece of salt become not salt. But what they say you can do is you can just add a bunch of sand on the salt. And so you've got salt and you add sand to it, you mix it up, and eventually what happens is the salt begins to lose its saltiness. And, and for many of us, that's, what we, that's how we see sin, is that like you're a Christian and you're following the Lord, but then we get involved in these, in these sins and it begins to bog us down. And before you know, we kind of lose our edge. Have you ever known a Christian who kind of lost their edge? Somebody who was walking with the Lord, who was, um, who was with him, who was all powerful and bold and everything, and then you meet them and they're so different. I had a friend like that and I, I reconnected with him a couple years ago on, on Facebook and he was a guy that when I first became a Christian, like, I, I really looked up to this guy. I mean, this was like the, the image of what I thought a Christian should be. I mean, he treated, he, was, he loved God so much and he treated women so well and he loved his family and he cared about people around him. I mean, he, he would volunteer um, twice a month to go down and feed the homeless in downtown and I just wanted nothing more than to be just like this guy. And then I reconnect with him and you can't ever judge anybody by their Facebook, but um, it, it can give you some ideas. And so I started talking to him, kind of asking him how he was doing, and he was almost a completely different person. It was so sad. And when I look at somebody like that, I don't look at someone who just lost it. I look at somebody who was salt in the earth, and yet over the years, just sand was added in one sin after the other, and, and before you know it, we're not even recognizable anymore. Eventually, we became more about the, the sand in our life than the salt, and it's more about the, the pleasures than it is God's glory, and, and it happens so slowly, but it happens nonetheless. And so as we begin our lives removing sin, that we may become more salty, what happens is that begins to expand to the world around us. Which is why in verse 14, Jesus says that you are the light of the world. And so ultimately, we, we, we lessen the darkness of sin that we can reveal the light of who? We lessen the darkness of sin so we can reveal the light of who? It's the same answer. Jesus, good job. Jesus is always the answer. I want you to hear this from the Bible. I want you to, I want you to hear how prevalent this idea is. In verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, 
but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, this is the elder John writing to the church in his old age, and he says, This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And the reason why I'm emphasizing it this morning that that we are here right now today to be light is because we often try to outsource light. And and we as a church, we are never going to have the impact in the world that we need to have unless individuals take it upon themselves to be light individually wherever they're at. We're going to have baptism uh, tonight, today after the service, and um, you're going to see different people being baptized, but baptized by different people who have had a specific role in their life. And I am committed, like many of you, to, to being a Christian myself and to loving my neighbors, but even myself, like I've, I've got 24 hours in a day, and I sleep for about eight of those. And so that puts me about 16 hours a day, and then I need some downtime. And, and, and we need a lot of people on the mission of God to really actually make a difference. And this is why our vision for this year, the question that we're asking is, what will the impact of our church be? If you were at the vision dinner, you noticed that what we were talking about is, what will our impact be? Yeah, we're here, we love Jesus, that's great. We sing pretty songs, and we hear the word preached, and that's awesome. But what will the actual impact of this church be? And what we need are are spirit-empowered believers going into their places of work and into their families and into their communities and into their neighborhoods and into their circles of influence and sharing the light of Jesus that the darkness would recede. And we have so much work to do. There's so many people in this city that need to hear the name of Jesus. There's so many people worldwide that need to hear the name of Jesus that we've all got to take it upon ourselves to be the light. I beg you to join me in this. Because where the light goes, the darkness is always defeated. That's the thing about light. It cannot coexist with darkness. It's like impossible. Like if light shows up, automatically darkness has to surrender itself. This is why like when you're following Jesus and you go into a dark place, maybe it's your place of work, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's some sin that's around you, maybe it's a community of of unrighteousness or whatever, whenever you show up, they're going to immediately try to stomp you out because they know that as long as you're there, eventually either the light or the dark will win out. They can't coexist. It's impossible. And so they make fun of us, and they ridicule us, and they tell us all different types of things. And in reality, what's going on is they know that if they don't shut you up, that the light that you have will win. So we are called to be the light, to to lessen the darkness, to reveal the light of Jesus. And I love this. In John 12, 46, Jesus says this. How blatant could he be? He goes, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 
Jesus is the light. When Jesus begins to look at our sin, all of a sudden we realize how shameful it is. It's funny how in the dark things seem less bad, right? And then someone flips on the switch and all of a sudden it gets real different. You know, why do you think people don't do like sex trafficking and and drugs? Why, Why don't they do those things like out in public? I mean, I guess it's against the law. That's maybe part of it. But it's like we've got to hide this thing because the darkness can't be in touch with the light. You are the light of the world. As you leave here today, as we scatter out of this place, you're the light of the world. I was working on this sermon and I was having a hard time getting it going. And um, so I went to like my favorite coffee shop, which helps me think sometimes. And it's called Catalina Coffee in the Sixth Ward. Uh, really, really hipster, really cool place. Um, I don't really fit in <laughs> all that well, but I went nonetheless. It kind of inspires me. And so I'm in there, and this is like your typical inner city coffee shop. It's secular to the max, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of got that culture and that vibe. And I'm in there, and I, I got like my Bible open, right? And I'm like typing on my computer next to like where everyone goes to get like their sugar and cream for the coffee and stuff. And I keep getting these really weird looks because I'm at this place and I got like my Bible open and I'm typing like, they can obviously see like Jesus and scripture on my laptop and I'm typing it. And and occasionally, even though it was kind of weird, I'd like stop and try to like pray where I was at um, just for guidance so I didn't get caught up in my own ideas, my own thoughts, but I stayed with the Holy Spirit. And I just kept getting these weird looks and it was uncomfortable at times. But it was funny, like, I felt like in that moment, I was like, even in a small way, I was like trying to just, my best to be a light. Like, and it was so weird, it's kind of awkward, but it's also kind of fun, you know? It's kind of fun to kind of poke Jesus with people, you know? It's kind of fun, it wakes them up, you know? It's like, you don't have to follow it, but I'm doing this and my life's great, you know? Um, Stay where you're at, that's fine. Try going in a public place and reading your Bible and praying. I greatly value being in my room by myself and praying and reading and loving Jesus. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's helpful. But what if we, like, went out in public and did that stuff more? And this is important because we live in a day where faith is increasingly told to be a private thing. We live in a world where they say you can be a Christian in your house of worship, which is what they refer to this as. You can be a Christian in your house, in your car, but don't bring it in the sphere of education and, and don't bring it into politics and don't bring it in the public world. Like, make it private. And, and for some of you, the application for the sermon this morning is that it's, it's time to go public with your faith. It's time to go public. It's time to no longer hide it. It's time to come out of the faith closet and let people know that you follow Jesus and that you live without borders and that you are with him. Because Jesus says, what good is a light that is covered? What good is a light that is not accented in the middle of the room on a stand in order that it may give light, Jesus says, to the entire place? See, light is not a private thing. Light is a public thing. And I'll I'll close with this. Um, I read a really fascinating article this week. It was in Time Magazine. And the title of the article was Why There Are No Atheists at the Grand Canyon. And uh, this article, it's a good good one, right? Yeah, I like that too. 
That's what caught my eye. And what it was, was it was an actual legitimate psychology study um, done by USC and another college in California. And basically, these were two, I mean, completely secular, non-believing psychologists who, like most people, noticed God's influence on people and, and noticed, for whatever reason, there's just something between feeling awe and wonder and, like, being drawn into God. Like, there's just something about that. And so... Um, they felt that way, so they set out to see if they could prove that scientifically. And so what they did was um, they would show these people these really awe-inspiring clips, maybe of the Grand Canyon or some koala bears playing or, you know, just a really cool shot of the city and the sun coming through, just something really nostalgic, something wonderful and and awesome. And then they would show people kind of less awe-inspiring images. And then after they were done, they would give them a questionnaire And they found a complete direct correlation between the awe that a person felt. And you can't explain awe. It's hard to to chart that because it's kind of like a personal experience. But but we all at the same time, we we can explain what it is because we sense it in our lives. And so they had them compare and they found a complete, direct, undeniable correlation in this study between people that feel a sense of awe and wonder based upon the things that they experience in this life and their openness to God. And, and their, their conclusion was that what people experience impacts their openness to God. That what people experience and encounter in this world impacts their openness to whether or not they're going to follow God with their life. What they said is that belief is not fixed, but it is ultimately tied to the things that we experience in our lives. You see, experience and not just brute facts or would impact people to be open to God. And, and if I were to ask so many of you, what led you to faith? Very few of you would say, I got argued into the kingdom. <laughs> Someone just argued me to the ground and showed me I was, a, you know, I was totally wrong. And they, they gave me this really cool apologetic argument. And, and for some people, that is really impactful. But for the majority of you in this room, you felt love in the church. Or Jesus gave you a moment of grace where you encountered him somehow, or somebody loved you well, or somebody served you, or somebody caught your attention with something that they did. Somehow, somebody showed you the light and you responded in faith. And what these guys are saying is that openness to God with the people in your life is tied ultimately, I believe, to what they experience in you. And I want to close with this quote he said. He goes, this is actually from the article. It says, the laws of nature do not seem to be what satisfies the sense of uncertainty that all elicits, he says. If I throw 10 people at the Grand Canyon and ask how many come away with a secular answer and how many come away spiritual, I would definitely have to tip the scales in the favor of spiritual. He says, like it or not, all trumps empiricism. All trumps brute facts. And the people in your life, their openness to God, and this is a scary thought, their openness to God, people that are far from God, that, that, that we need to be building relationships with and loving, are impacted by you and the life that you live. 
And I love this study because after all that, it goes, what people experience impacts our openness to God. And then Jesus says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's just exactly what Jesus said. It's like until we prove Jesus' words scientifically, we can't really follow them or trust him. And so while this is the point where we come and we surrender to the gospel, that we were once dark and that God shone light in our life. And now that we have this light, we shine it. And as we take communion this morning, I pray that this would just be a reminder of God's light in your life. And that communion, if you're a believer and as you come forward, that it would be a moment with you and the Lord where you beg him this week to use you to be a light. It's in God's power, not yours. Be comforted in that. We are called to take the light of Jesus into the darkness that we see. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be your light. God, we do not want to be people of darkness. We want to live in your light. And I pray that this morning as as we gather here, that if there's somebody here in this assembly, God, who has been very far from you, I pray that you would shine your light upon them. God, I pray that this church would be a a beacon of hope and a beacon of light in this community. That in the middle of of the darkness and the sin that, that so often seems to overtake a city, that people would look at our community and the churches all across the city and believe that there is a different way. That we don't have to live lives of, of meaninglessness. We don't have to live lives of just kind of hanging out until we die, Lord. That we can know you personally and that we can have your light in our hearts. God, we ask for your light this morning. We ask that it would empower us, Lord. For your mission, for your will. And we ask all these things in the perfect, holy name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Amen.